the book of Colossians, chapter 3. This morning we consider verses 1 through 11 of Colossians 3. And this morning we find the choice that Christians face, whether as the children of God we are going to dwell day by day on the plane of righteousness in the heavenly places where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, or whether we unnaturally for us, now that we have a new nature, are going to dwell below, dominated by the old nature, which was put to death with Christ at the cross. Now these verses, beginning chapter 3, logically follow chapter 2 where Paul has told us, first of all, that everything we do must be according to Christ and that it is sin, empty deception, and human rebellion against God to substitute anything in any circumstance for the strictest standard according to Christ as revealed in God's Word. He has gone on to tell us in chapter 2 that Jesus Christ is the substance of which everything else of a religious nature is merely the shadow and that we must never devote ourselves to the shadow. We must not love the church. We must love Jesus. We must not love what we want to preserve or what we think God ought to do. We must love Jesus. That we must hold to the substance and not the shadow and finally accept the fact that he really is the boss. And he comes now in chapter 3 to tell us that we have already died with Christ and that Christ in us is the way that we can meet the stringent demands of righteousness. You see, we cannot, but Christ can, does, and will overcome the lower nature as we give him lordship in our lives. Thus, we can live above where Christ dwells, not having to be dominated by the lower nature. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, now Paul is going to tell us four reasons why we can enjoy the life that God intends for us to enjoy. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, we can enjoy this life because of our resurrection. Read this with me if you would. You'll need to follow in your Bible as the message will very simply develop the text. Beginning with verse 1, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. We can live that life which he wants us to live because of our resurrection. Now he begins by saying, if then you have been raised up. You could just as easily say, since you have been raised up, you will seek the things that are above. How often do we define goodness by ourselves? And if what we are doesn't measure up to what God says, we find a way to redefine what God says. Now, 
We say we're all human. God says if you have been raised up, you will seek the things that are above, that are above. If you've been raised up. And when an individual has no evidence of the Christ life, it's because they've not been raised and they don't know Jesus. Now that's that simple. That is the plain truth. How and why can we live the way he wants us to live? Because of our resurrection. If you've been raised with Christ, if you've been saved, if you went to the cross with him and he lives in you, you will have a desire to please him. You see, this is a new life. And if you've been raised up, you will no longer be dominated by the trivial passing things of the earth, but you will have your eyes on Jesus Christ. When you have your eyes on others, you don't have them on Jesus. And beloved, that's your problem and nobody else's. If your eyes aren't on Jesus, you're living in sin. And whether somebody else is or isn't is not your problem. Because when you stand before God, you answer for you and not for anybody else. We have new values, a new standard of judgment. Have you ever noticed in your own life how the more deeply you go away from God and into self-will in your own life, the lower your standards become? You see, nobody will ever measure up to the perfect standard that God sets, but we must never be satisfied with anything less. And when we take our eyes off of Jesus, that's the way that we're able to ignore the sin and rebellion in our own lives and get upset about somebody else. And when you are upset about somebody else, it's because you're not walking with God, because they're not your problem, they're God's problem. Because of our resurrection, we have new values. We have a new standard of judging all things. And we have a new perspective on life. You see, because we've been raised with Christ, and as we walk with Him, you will put giving above getting. You will put serving above ruling. You will put forgiving above avenging and you will see things as God sees them. You see, we are not above the pull of the old nature, not at all. But because of our resurrection, we can submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus and let Him deal with the pull of the old nature and let Him win victory over sin and over failure. Set your mind, he says in verse 2, on the things above. One reason that we are so seldom able to endure temptation and to really live the way God wants us to live is because our minds are set on the wrong things. You see, we have the idea that even if we do not fulfill the unholy desires in our lives, we can gain some measure of satisfaction by holding on to the unholy desire. And then when temptation comes, your mind is fixed on that which is sinful and you can't endure it. Jesus said, and we must believe it, that the mind being fixed on sinful things 
is just as sinful and just as bad and just as harmful as doing them. Paul says, set your things on the, on the things that are above. Where is your mind set? Where is it? Where do you focus? Paul said in Philippians 4, therefore, whatever things are just, pure, holy, good, think on these things. Which means, beloved, when you think on anything else, it's sin. Think on those things. We are vulnerable and we fail and we fall because that's where our mind is, set on the lower things. To overcome temptation, don't roll up your sleeves and say, I'm going to overcome this temptation because when you do that, you focus all your attention on it and it makes you more vulnerable than you were before. To learn to overcome temptation, to live above sin when it attacks you to begin to be what God wants you to be, saturate your mind with Jesus. Look at Him. Think on Him. Focus on Him. Devote your mind to Him. Perhaps you've heard about the man who went to the doctor holding his arm and said, Doctor, I broke my arm in two places. The doctor said, you'd better stay out of those two places. And that's the way it is with temptation. Beloved, if you don't want to fall, if you don't want to sin, then keep your mind out of those places. We are able to live the life that He has for us because of our resurrection. We are alive with Christ. And then notice in verses 3 and 4, we are able to live that way because of our revelation. He says, this is beautiful. I guess, I, I wouldn't say favorite. It's hard to say that about the Bible. This is one of the, the most beautiful and meaningful verses in the whole Bible. This is not hope. This is a fact. This is a reality right now today. Verse 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Now, first we are hidden, later we shall be revealed, and that is why we can live the way He wants us to live. Ultimately, we shall be seen with Him forever. Notice, you have died. It's already happened. If you know Jesus, you're dead to your sins. You have died to them, and now He Himself is your life, and you dwell safely hidden with Christ in God. You're dead to sin, but alive to Him. We still dwell in the flesh like you dwell in a house. But Christ is our life, and our permanent abode is in Him. Sin is illogical, irrational, and inconceivable for someone who is dead. And you are dead with Christ. 
You see right now, not later, not in heaven, not after this life, right now, you dwell in another sphere of existence. And only by choice do you have to dwell in the gutters of life and live in sin. It is your choice. Only by choice. You have a new place to live. You dwell with Christ in heavenly places, as Paul tells us in Ephesians. Therefore, you don't have to live in the gutter. Because you are hidden with him and you shall be revealed with him. And then notice in verses 5 through 7, here is our reckoning. And it is reminiscent of Romans 6 verse 11 where Paul said, Therefore reckon yourselves also dead unto sin, but alive to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word reckon means to consider it so. It is as though you employ an accountant. And when the accountant has done his work, the books are up to date, they're balanced, the ledger is finished, you look at the bottom line and you consider that to be the truth. Now, you don't do it because you can go to your various places of deposit and, and count the money and they've got it in a bundle wrapped up with your name on it. You don't do it because you can examine everything you own and value it down to the penny for yourself. You do it because you trust the process. You accept the fact. Now, you don't reckon yourself dead to sin because you can see within yourself anything which is good or holy or superior. You do it because the Word of God says when you gave your life to Jesus, you died with Him at the cross and you accept God's Word and you believe it to be so. We can live where God wants us to live because of our reckoning. He says in verse 5 through 7, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Paul says, consider it to be so, reckon it, accept it, that you are dead to sin and alive with Christ and live on the basis of that fact. He says, carry out the truth. Do the truth. Put to death the old members the old desires. Now, the word, consider the members of your earthly body as dead, is the word mortify. It is a very strong word in the Greek. It means make them dead, choke them to death, kill them. Now, he is not saying, take your life in your own hands and crucify the old man so that Jesus can live in you. Let's make that distinction. It's terribly important. He is not saying that. He has just gotten through saying, you died with Jesus at the cross. Now, Romans 6 says, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. You are dead to your sins in Christ, but you have a new nature 
a new life within you and as a believer walking in the Spirit, committed to the Lordship of Christ, He gives you the authority and the command to control the evil desire. You cannot save yourself. You cannot crucify the old nature. It's already been done. But because it has and because you are alive with Him, His life in you can subdue the flesh. He says, do the truth. Now at this point in Colossians 3, Paul moves from the theology. He has told us that Christ is all, he said in Colossians. That Christ in you is the hope of glory. He has laid the foundation. Everything must be according to Christ. Christ is the substance. Now having taught us the truth, he comes to the practical ways in which we may live the truth. He tells us how we may do it. And what follows is an uncompromising and clear statement of how we must live because of all that Christ has done. We must live so as to lend credibility to the gospel. You are as close to Jesus as a lot of people will ever get. And you must live in such a way that when they see your life, they will believe what the Bible says about Jesus. Do you? That's the command. Because we reckon ourselves dead, we are to so live. What are we to put aside? We are to put aside immorality. We are to put aside passion, evil desire, and greed. For it is on account of these that the wrath of God will come. And he says, you once walked in them. Now, do you still walk in them? Do you still dwell below in the gutter when you could sit above in heavenly places with Christ? You don't have to do that. Because of your resurrection, because you are hidden with Christ in God, because you consider it to be true, you must put aside all outward expressions of the flesh life. But he doesn't stop there. In the remaining verses, he goes on and he says, having dealt with the matters of conduct, move on the inside and clean up the inner man. In verses 8 through 11, we can live the way he wants us to live because of our renewal. Let's read these verses. But now you also put them all aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free man, but Christ is all and in all. 
we may live the way we should because of our renewal, because of our new nature. Paul says, having done away with vice, now deal with the inner man. What are we to deal with? Anger, which is settled anger that endures. Boiling wrath. Malice, a malignant ill will that wants to harm others for some real or imagined offense that has occurred. Slander, which is using the truth in a harmful way. And all abusive speech. He says, strip them off like a dirty garment. You see, Christian, the Christian in his attitudes and in his speech must be kind and loving. Before you speak, you should ask, is it true? But beyond that, is it necessary? What will it accomplish? And recall the Lord of the harvest and the promise in the book of Proverbs and from the mouth of the Lord Jesus that when you raise your tongue against another person, everything that you have tried to do to them will happen to you. And don't cry when it does because you made it happen. Our renewal. This is the same thing he said earlier. Do you have a new nature? If you do, your tongue will reflect it. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Or is it in a way to justify or exalt yourself? These kind of sins demonstrate the absence of the love and the forgiveness of God in your heart. Here is another place we equivocate. We explain it away and we try to define what's right according to what we are. But it is a plain and simple fact affirmed by the Bible that if you know God, if you know His love, then because He has loved you and forgiven you, you will forgive others. And all you say when you say to yourself or another that you cannot yet forgive is that you do not yet possess the love and forgiveness of God. Because those who have been forgiven do forgive, period. There is no question about it. Oh, but you're expecting too much of people. No, I'm not. You recall what Paul has just said? He has said Christ does it in us. And all it means is Christ is not Lord. Christ is not Lord. Isn't it shameful that Christians have to have this kind of teaching? Well, Paul wrote it to the church at Colossae, which by everything we can tell was one of the finest churches in the ancient world. Christians do need the teaching. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Abusive speech, are they there? When you identify that poisonous snake, stay away from them. The tongue that bites somebody else in your presence will bite you as soon as you don't look and don't forget it. Because that kind of a creature knows no loyalty except to the sin that dwells within them. And like Satan himself, that kind of a creature destroys the quickest those who serve it the best, beginning with self. We're also told to stop lying. Now, that's a strange thing to say to Christians. You ever heard the naive statement, 
I trust everybody or I trust everybody in this room or everybody in this group or everybody I know or thus and such or this and that. If you do, you're very sadly mistaken. The scriptures say that Jesus Christ knew his disciples and he did not trust himself into their hands because he knew what was in their hearts. If you're still laboring under the misconception that people are basically good, you need to read the Bible because God forgot to tell us that. The Bible says the human heart is desperately wicked beyond all things. And like it or not, you can't change that. That's the truth. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked beyond all things who can know it. Now, this is not to instill hopelessness. It's to return us back to the indwelling presence of His Spirit whereby we may let Jesus be Lord and let Him dominate that old nature. We must put these things aside. He says in verse 9, don't lie. How often do we play fast and loose with the truth just because we know it is the truth in our own minds and we're willing to do or say anything to establish what we believe to be the truth, even if we have to deny the truth by lying to get it done. Now that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? You'd better remember that you can never serve God by sinning. And anytime you do anything that is not, as Paul said in verses 8 to 15, according to Christ, it's sin, and you can't serve God through sin. How often do we do it? Christ, he says, destroys the barriers, verse 11, that stand between us. He says here is a renewal in which there is no distinction. Now that's, an, that's, a, that's a flat statement. No distinction. He mentions here race, religion, culture, and status in life. He destroys the barriers between us racially, religiously, ceremonially, ritually, between us culturally, and between us in way of class. And if there is anyone or any group of individuals in the earth, whether that be a race difference, culture, class, whatever it is that in your heart of hearts you do not love with the love that Christ loved you. You're living in sin. We don't have that problem here, but I grew up in the deep south, and I saw it up close. I want to tell you with no fear of error that if there is a church, in quotation marks, in any place where any believer, black, pink, yellow, purple, or brown, or red is not welcome. It is not the church of Jesus. It is the synagogue of Satan. In him there is no distinction. Are you going to dwell above or below? The choice is yours. You cannot blame it on anybody else. You can live above where Christ dwells now, not later, because you have been resurrected with him from death into new life because you have been hidden with him and shall be revealed with him. 
because of the fact that you may reckon to be so that you are alive to him. And because he has given you a new nature, which as he says in these verses, is constantly being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Will you dwell above or below? He commands that we put off all of the old and that we live like who we are children of the Father, remade in the likeness of Christ, raised from death. New life in Christ is ours. Let us dwell above, seated where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. May we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And God, how great is our tendency to define everything in terms of ourselves. Father, how we rebel against the Word, which is rebellion against You. How we refuse to admit the fact that we must do what You say. Father, there isn't any barrier that divides that You have not torn down. Make that a reality in our lives. There is not any sin, any rebellion in our hearts, in our lives, that you cannot overcome. Make that a reality in our lives. Father, there is not any reluctance that we have to let Jesus be any Lord, be Lord born of fear that you cannot overcome. Overcome those today. And Father, may we rest in the fact that you are all and in all. Father, may we dwell above by your grace, through your presence, on the basis of your promise. Make it so in our lives, save those who are lost. Do the miraculous in drawing from us confession of those things which beset us, repentance for our hearts, attitudes. Restore us according to your mercy. Father, do with us as you please. In every heart today, may we do what shall be done at the end of time when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. I thank you that it shall be so. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.